0: episode 36. It's brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hey, this month in September, we are in the midst of the change of seasons, and it's one way that God has created in our natural world to remind us that things change all the time. Just when you sort of are starting to get tired with summer, at least here in Colorado, we have all four seasons. I don't know where you live, but we get all four in all of their glory here in Colorado, and Right as you're starting to kind of get tired of summer, oh, thank God, here comes fall. And right as fall is starting to bug you because you have all these leaves to clean up, oh, then comes winter. And right as you're getting tired of winter, then comes the spring. And there's something embedded in our very physical surroundings that helps us to understand the kingdom of God because in the kingdom of God, things always change and grow. And so in September, we want to kind of capitalize on that and think through and talk through what it looks like to change and grow, that the change of seasons kind of puts on our radar change in our own life, and that change is a certainty in our own life. Things that grow, change. Things that are dead don't change. (laughs) So all of us want to grow, and that necessarily means change is going to happen, so that could mean your habits and routines in your life, or it could be a, a new trajectory in your relationship with Jesus, and that's what we're here for. That's what this conversation is about, is to point it toward change and growth in our intimacy with Jesus, because that's what he's really after. He wants to restore intimacy with us, and change and growth is the only way that can happen. So... Before we get into the full episode, I just want to let you know about something that is going to be really exciting, about like halfway through our podcast today, we're going to have our friend Cammie Gilmore come on and talk about a major season of change in life that um, is really difficult for a lot of people, and she's going to talk about how Jesus has leveraged that season of change in her life um, and in the lives of so many to grow her, and uh, so uh, you're going to hear some, a great story from from Cami. So, but first we're going to start off. Um, it's by the way that the Becky Neater is here, even though I've dominated this from the Hi. very beginning. Yeah, there she is. I'm here. So uh, we're going to talk about growth from the perspective of Jesus as as we start off, and that Jesus used. Uh, I mean, his favorite metaphor was a botanical metaphor meaning he loved to use metaphors from the world of growing things uh, around us. That was his favorite type of metaphor. And so when you notice that Jesus uses one type of metaphor most often, then that's telling you something about his heart and, and what there is locked up in growing things that we need to pay attention to. We're going to talk about growth um, through the filter of Jesus, using his botanical metaphors, but also we're going to talk about growth in our own lives and uh, what that looks like um, in in our own life, both the, the kind of the, the goofy times of growth, because uh, growth can be awkward, and then the kind of epic times of growth. And what did that, those times, those seasons of growth in our lives require, and what impact did they have, and what direction did they take us? So maybe, Becky, you could start off with uh, maybe a story from Oh, uh, maybe when you were a kid, uh, about when you experienced maybe growing pains, something like that.
1: Well, I did like literally experience really bad growing p- pains when I was like nine years old. I like,
0: oh yeah, we like use growing pains as a metaphor, but no, actually,
1: <laughs> I mean, literally it was super painful. I was growing so fast that like my bones couldn't like stretch to keep up, and it was really really painful even more so I, I was growing really fast and I was a preteen. And so I was growing faster than the boys. And so oh, that awkward. was kind of awkward, I was like, I felt a little like oafish and like awkward during that time. But I think that that pain, even though, you know, it was necessary, I had to go through that pain in order to physically grow. But I also think that the pain I went through from feeling, um, awkward and dealing with embarrassment and, and dealing with all of those things that kind of build character in our lives I feel like I also became a little bit more of a compassionate person during that time towards other people who were different. And I think, you know, sometimes we just have to go through those, like, both emotional and physically painful things in order to see fruit and growth in our lives. So that was that was my awkward, painful, growing pains. Yeah, and
0: I'm thinking about—so um, uh, I'm married to Bev, and uh, when I met her in college— and the way that I met her was that um, my best friend and my sister, who had no relationship whatsoever, I had an older sister who had already graduated from college, and and then I had a best friend at college. In, in separate incidents, they both told me that they knew the same girl, and they wanted me to meet her. And she went to this, you know, the same college that I did. And I I was really um, shy, awkward, and pretty much an utter failure in the whole dating. But life you through were in high a fraternity.
1: school.
0: I was and but, you were the DJ. But that's a longer story and th- <laughs> it's absolutely unbelievable that I was in a fraternity. And also then I that I became the DJ at all of our <laughs> parties. That's a story for another time. But uh that was crazy. I mean You'll find that a lot of people who write and speak and uh, look like they're extroverts are actually introverts. They're not really extroverts, and and I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert, so uh, I was awkward uh, around girls, and I tried to date in high school and wasn't very successful, and so I really had no interest in doing this because I thought all this will lead to is utter failure. But then I had these two people in my life saying, you got to meet this girl. So I thought, okay, she sings in this Christian choir— I guess you could call it that. It was more like a singing group, not a choir. And they sang every Wednesday night at this fellowship time we had on campus, and I thought, here's what I'll do. I'll work up my courage, and I'll go down there at the end of the fellowship time, and I will introduce myself to this girl and tell her that these two people said I, I should meet her. And uh, and then I didn't know what I was going to do after I did that. So I I, I was determined So I marched down there, and she was standing on some risers. This is like 30 people in this singing group. She was standing on these risers. So when I was standing down there looking at her, she was a good 10 feet above me.
1: (laughs) And just yell up to her. And I
0: just said, "Hi, my name is Rick." (laughs) And this person and my sister told me I should meet you and she's looking down at me and she was real bubbly and she just finished singing and so she was all you know excited and oh hi and i said would you like to have a study date a study time or i can't even remember what we call it <laughs> um, where you just go get a cookie or something it's it's a it's a inoffensive low bar way to have a like a quasi date and that's what i asked her and she said oh sure let's meet for lunch or something and so then we decided we we're going to meet in the student union and for lunch on this particular day and i'm looking around for her and i suddenly realized i only lo- know what she looks like from if i'm looking at her from 10 feet below her i didn't remember what she looked like cuz she she people look different when you're looking up at them and she didn't know what i looked like so it took a long time we finally found each other and she bought lunch in the student union hmm. and i brought a little brown paper bag with my lunch in it and a banana and a <laughs> peanut butter and jelly sandwich Aww, and that's cute yeah and i had a big i, like story. I had a big red afro and i had these huge glasses that were popular back then that covered like half my face and i i couldn't have been more awkward and uh i the the funniest part about this is that i had no idea how awkward i really did look so we had lunch and we soon became best friends and our relationship is long and We were engaged three times, so I'll have to tell you about that later, too. But this whole time in my life, when I went from this place of just utter awkwardness and sort of isolation in a way, especially when it concerned dating girls, to having a best friend who was a girl, and then trying to understand, where is this going? This was a huge growing time in my life where I started to come to see the gifts and strengths that I had to give because I started to get past my shell and come out of that and get comfortable with who I was. And I had no idea until I started uh, this relationship with Bev how really um, closed down I had been as a a person, because I was so afraid inside in so many ways. And so this relationship helped me to get comfortable with—I didn't change all these things about myself. I just got more comfortable with the fact that this is who I am, because I had somebody in my life who really valued who I was past all of those things. So I would say it's it was painful at the beginning and painful sometimes to kind of navigate this relationship, but I grew a lot because of it. So there's a story from college. Uh, uh, um, maybe you have a, another one, maybe from your adult life, Becky, of a time of growth and change in your life, in your adult life.
1: Well, if you might remember a few episodes back when when Rick and I were talking about something along the lines of of pain and change. And I remember Rick said that he was praying and he was just asking God, like, hey, why is it that I always have to go through really painful seasons in life in order to see change happen? Like, dear God, can I start to learn without pain? Um, so this is actually a, a, like a, a part of my life that I really wish I could have been able to skip over, but it was a, just a season. It was about three months, and it was just like a train wreck of stuff happened in my life. I I was hit head on in an accident, and it changed the way my spine is forever. I had a major medical um, situation that happened that was unrelated to that that was very scary and could have been life-threatening the boy who i thought i was going to marry um had and had spent 3 years in college dating broke up with me and moved away and my cousin who was younger than me she died giving birth to her son in a very tragic situation and she was only 21 and this was all just like a short like 3 month period of time and oh by the way i graduated from college that mm. in that time too and the pain that I endured was excruciating. It was probably the worst time of my entire life. But what came out of that was so beautiful. And it really actually launched me into the next phase of who I was going to become. And I think that it's hard if I had children and I saw them going down this road that would lead to where I was, I would in every way. Don't go there. <laughs> Stay away. You don't want to endure. It's the worst pain you could ever have. But I don't actually think I would be who I am today if I hadn't gone through that season in my life. I really think that my entire trajectory would have been completely different. So, you know, I think we do need pain in order to see new seasons come.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, uh, that, that's such a universal thing that you just said. The truth is actually, in the created world, growth does come through pain. We say that rhetorically, and it's, and it's somewhat easy to say when you're not in the middle of pain. And if you're in the middle of pain, that just sounds like the very thing you don't want to hear.
1: Right. That, Please oh, don't say that to yeah, your friend.
0: Pa- pain. Yeah, pain brings growth. Uh, so it's not a teaching or a piece of advice, it's simply a reality. It's a reality in the created world and it is a reality in the kingdom of God. And one of the reasons why is I don't think I think we've underestimated the work that Jesus is doing here. He is trying to do the impossible, to re-establish a trusting, intimate relationship with God when it's been permanently broken and shattered by betrayal and our very nature has been corrupted and poisoned. This is a huge job and it's going to take a lot of leverage. Um, I often I've said this in one way or another in almost every book I've ever written that the weight of our redemption is heavy indeed and it and it needs great leverage to leverage us into redemption and so there is no greater leverage than pain. So as deep as the pain impacts us, the truth is uh, often if you you'll talk to somebody who's been through great pain like you just shared this story Becky, they, they say almost the same thing that you just said, I would never want to go through that again, I would never wish that on anyone, but boy, I'm so grateful for the treasure it produced. It's a common refrain in the music of our life, and you know, uh, just real quick, I, uh, that you know, I, I suggested a couple of interesting things about my relationship with Bev. We were engaged three times, and we were two pretty dysfunctional people trying to become one. And when you put two dysfunctions together, (laughs) you multiply the dysfunction. And so early on in our marriage, in the first maybe five years, those dysfunctions had gotten so magnified and so, such a blockage. And it was becoming so harmful in our relationship that Bev asked me to leave. And we were separated for three months, including Thanksgiving and Christmas that year. And I mentioned that because. When you are separated and alone, and you've been married for five years, and it's Thanksgiving and Christmas, it, it, you never forget the feeling of that pain mm-hmm. of being apart. But that time of separation was almost like the, the very pressure my soul needed to—this is going to sound terrible, but this is the truth—to squeeze the poison to the surface in my soul. The poison was my damaged and broken identity that I had concocted so many ways in my life of covering over so nobody would see that, and in marriage it just couldn't be hidden. And so when we were separated, this was all squeezed to the surface, and with the help of a counselor who was very adept and very gentle at helping all that to come to the surface, it finally did, and it was almost like throwing up. And I remember very vividly sitting in his office, saying, I'm sorry, I need to leave now. And I left, got in my car, drove about three blocks, and just sobbed for about an hour, because it was literally like my soul was vomiting up this toxin that I had kept down there for so long. So if it was not for the pressure of that separation, that would not have come to the surface, or it would have continued to shoot out sideways, destroying the things that I loved so it was a severe mercy. Uh, C.S. Lewis calls these things severe mercies, because they are great mercies, but they feel severe in the moment. And these are things that, growth-wise, if we are hoping to have the intimacy that Jesus longs for with us, these are the kinds of leveraging situations that have to happen, or the intimacy isn't possible. So we know some of this is true, because Because, as I mentioned at the start, he loved his botanical metaphors. And in part, he loved them because they mimicked or showed us the power of the beauty that comes when a growing thing experiences pain for the sake of greater growth. So, if you prune a tree or a bush, the purpose is not to damage and destroy the tree or the bush. The purpose is to direct its life in a way that produces great growth. You cannot produce a fruit tree, for instance, that produces a lot of fruit and a lot of good fruit unless you prune it. And if you are the fruit bush and you are being pruned, it hurts. (laughs) You get cut and it hurts. So Jesus loved these parables, and um, I thought Becky and I could read a couple just to kind of set the stage for our conversation with Cammie. So here's one from Mark chapter 4, this is the parable of the farmer scattering seed. So, so I just want you to get in, to get this sense of what this growing process is like and what it involves, and how this might be embedded in our own life. So Jesus says, Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. Well, The seed sprouted quickly... Because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted and they grew and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much has been planted. So Jesus told this parable and then he later had to explain it to his disciples who wanted to understand what it meant. But you can get this picture here of both things that are growing and things that are dying, and they're dying for a reason, and that there's something in the soil that's not allowing them to live, and that he's trying to emphasize that the, the soil is super important. I'm going to plant the seed, and I'll make it grow, but you have some responsibility for the soil in your life. And if your soil's bad, guess what? Things are going to die in your life. So this is what he's trying to say, that if you examine how things grow in the natural world, it helps you to understand that if you don't pay attention to the soil that Jesus is planting in your soul, things will die. Things that he wants to grow there will die, and that will feel painful because we want growth to happen. So he's trying to give us a a sense that this is how things work.
1: And it's important, I think, to understand that when we say bad soil, it I think our Western culture wants us to believe that good soil would mean that living a life with Jesus is easy and everything is great and there <laughs> are no problems. Um, but actually, in order for that soil to be good, we actually have to go through some toxic pain to detox out the soil and get out what is in there that needs to come out. And, and I think a lot of times when we are following Jesus— like all in following Jesus, and then all of a sudden, the wor- whatever it is, pain, horrible things are thrown at us, stressful situations that seem unbearable. We can feel like, well, wait a minute, am I doing something wrong in my relationship with the Lord? Did I miss something? Am I not really following Jesus? And we can feel like, well, maybe I'm I'm the problem. Um, but what we're trying to say is that. Both of us have been through very, very painful things and have continued to go through other painful things, and those things are actually the things that have produced the best fruit
0: in and, our life. And good soil. I mean, soil. how do you get rocks out of your soil? How do you f- get fertilized soil? How do you get your soil tilled, broken up, and so that it's soft and pliable and can accept the seed? These are all things that if, if your soul is the soil, it doesn't feel very good as it's happening. But the point of all this is great beauty and growth coming out of it. We want gardens that grow great fruit, and this is how it happens. So let's uh, bring Cammie in now, and let's talk to her a little bit about what role this change of season in our lives, these times of great growth in our lives, and necessarily involve pain, uh, what what can that lead to? So Cammie is the co-creator of Soul Feed College Care Packages— She's amazing, by the way. She's one of the most creative people I've ever met,
1: and funniest.
0: Yeah, and she's uh, she if if all we did all day long was write down Cami's stories and then put them in a book, we'd probably have a best selling book. Maybe that's a good idea. Just might just, need just to do call that. it Cami's Stories. But <laughs> she's also author of a new best selling book called Release My Grip. The tagline is Hope for a Parent's Heart as Kids Leave the Nest and Learn to Fly. She's uh, she blogs regularly about this season of life when you're letting go of your kids and your, your role as a parent is really rapidly changing, and it can be very painful. There's mourning, there's self-evaluation, there's who am I now, what's my role, am I even needed now? It's a time of great growth and change, which means it's also a time of pain. So, Cami, first of all, for those of us who either went through this season and can't remember what it was like now or We've not even got to this season yet or it just seems very distant or maybe we can't imagine ourselves ever going through this season. Tell us a little bit about what this is like in the in the seasons of your life.
2: Well, you know, I think for um, parents who have been through this, they, they comment on my blog post all the time going, I feel like it was yesterday. Just that visceral remembering of that season of change. And if parents are somewhat like me, which I think a lot of them do, they peek ahead at, at around the corner. As soon as their kid hits high school, you start this countdown of last, especially senior year. And you can get kind of stuck in just seeing the end of the season. For some people who, who adore a certain season, like you know spring or summer, they start to get really sad as the one the next one approaches. And I think that in the time of senior year, they start going, I don't know what's coming, but I know it's ending. This season and it was so interesting that you just ended with talking about the soil, because I was not okay when my firstborn went to college. I actually anticipated that season a year before by quitting my job and deciding I needed to be all in as a parent. In order to sort of soothe this pain of the pending letting go, I thought if if I could be like super mama, then I might not have guilt, or I might kind of fulfill that. And um, it didn't actually work. And as she was going, I mean, it was literally like a tiller going through a field of my life as a parent and just churning it up and shredding what was once bearing fruit and just, you know, there was just dirt and it was turned up.
0: So you said it didn't really work, which uh, what I how I read that when you say that is you had these expectations of, I'm going to give up all of this and invest myself all of this. And because you're a highly productive person... If I'm going to give up all this and put all of my productive t- attention into this, then I should expect some really good results here.
2: And I should expect to avoid pain because I'm a big avoider of pain. <laughs> I think we all are. I mean, who's, yeah, raise I, I your hand. Some people aren't, raise your hand if you like to avoid pain. Extreme yeah. sports people aren't, but you know that's probably why I don't work out. Because <laughs> Muscle gets ripped down. I know that's how it gets stronger, but I'm not really a fan of the ripping down process. <laughs> Just avoid that. The, the, the interesting thing was, I it was once again just a, a thing in my life I thought I could control by yeah. being all in. You know, I I didn't need to surrender to God yet because I had a way I I could possibly work around this. And it wasn't until just I just got churned up, and I'll I'll cry. I mean, just walking away. Rick, I know you just went through this from leaving your kid in college, and this emptiness, this like you can't breathe. And I just thought okay, I did not do this well. (laughs) I mean, and I walked away, it was dark. I was the last parent in there. I was still like (laughs) nesting in her room. I was like, clearly I have a problem. (laughs) I don't do letting go very well. And a lot of it is control, you know, because it's like I I don't do this season of change thing. Yesterday, I was driving home from Rocky Mountain National Park and I saw this grove of aspen trees and they were in their full glory of beautiful color, red and yellow and... There was probably 50, 60 cars pulled over and like 100 people standing in the trees. Some looking up, some were sitting, they were lying down, and they were just reveling in this season, in this moment. And it's funny because I pulled over and I don't normally, because I'm normally like driving like, you know, Mach 3 through there. I've gotten several tickets. It's a federal fence, by the way. Who knew? Um, I do. But I noticed how much they were just enjoying that season. And I thought it's interesting because those Aspens are actually – they're dying. You know, they're going through their shedding cycle. It's a brief beauty. It's about a week that it's just radiant. And then they get brown and they drop off. And But I think we're able to enjoy that beauty because we trust in the rhythm of the seasons. We've seen it. We've experienced it over and over and over. So there's comfort in the rhythm even though there's change.
0: And, you know, I, I have to – I'm going to push the pause button on here because even just what you've said so far – just the word you just embedded in there trust related to control and what what's happening here in your story as you're telling it is this addiction we have to being in control and on top of things which actually mutes and boundaries our growth absolutely it it, it won't let us grow and so you're you're describing this process of having that that control Smashed in you and exposed in you for what it is. You're, I, I just picture you sitting in that room saying, "I'm not doing this well." It's mm-hmm. starting to surface that there's something not right here. And I want to emphasize that this story, though it's specific to the pain that you feel and many parents feel when they when their kids start to come outside of the nest, so to speak, it's that's simply a, a, a metaphor. For other things in our life that are exactly the same way. Something gets surfaced Mm -hmm. that is keeping us from growing.
2: Well, in my book, I actually built the book on the chapters of the seasons. And I actually walked through about a two year season of just letting go of kids kind of from high school. But then the seasons keep changing. Just like, I mean, it's not just the letting go season. That's a tough season of change and growth as a parent or as a human when you're saying goodbye to kids at college. I, I say in the book, Our species wasn't born with wings. They don't just take off and fly, and you just wave goodbye. They crash and burn. They knock into trees. They fall down on the ground, and they squawk, and their wings are flopping all over. They don't know which way is up. And then they're in the nest like, now what do I do? So I actually think God prepares us well in this season of tilling because it's a consistent—and, Rick, you're going to enter into this— the things that kids face during college, throughout college, and in young adulthood— requires us to be so steadfastly connected to God and recognizing that he is in control. Because as a parent anymore, you these are adults. You can't control it. And if you try to, you're going to ruin your kids and your your own <laughs> mental health because you just can't. So I almost think that God prepares us. He sort of tills our soil. He churns it up. All those little cute memories and the memory mates and their little baby photos, which I still can't look at without weeping, he churns those up, and they're not gone. They're they're underground. They're part of the fertile the fertilization of it. But you have to be prepared for the next life of what's to come, which is your kid as an adult is going to be the majority of the relationship that you have with your child. You have about 18, 20 years, maybe 25. I kind of say they're kids until they're 25, but I'm hoping to live a lot longer than that. I'm hoping to know my kids another,
1: you know, 50 years I had them young. So, Cami, you talked to parents in this season. Millions, right? Mm-hmm. Millions of parents follow your blog and read your stories. And I know you also have a private Facebook group where, where these moms can share what is going on and what's happening in their season. In your opinion, in this season where th- everything is changing and there's so much change being forced at them, how are they handling that change?
2: Well, I, I, think, I think parents with... Um where they, where they know, and honestly, parents who have been through pain have learned that when I'm reduced to my knees, I'm already on my knees. Yeah. Hey, God, whoa, whoa, here I am. <laughs> Look at that. Something externally forced me down. I literally, because when I get in deep grief, I literally sink down to the floor. And sometimes it's when I'm on the floor that I remember, like, that's where God shows up, at the bottom of my well. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I have nothing. I've been just stripped away, and there he is. So I have found, and in, in the Facebook group I have is called um, Soul Feed Parents of Teens and Young Adults. And what's been amazing is the strength of these Christian moms, the the rawness, the vulnerability. I mean, all of us in, in our faith, I mean, it takes being real and authentic and admitting, I'm really struggling. Mm-hmm. But then the strength of those in community around us, and that's what God wanted our us to have, is community with one another. Because we lift each other up. We speak life when— when we're down, and we bring each other back to God. It's not that one person's going to fix another person. We, we bring each other back to the truth. But what I help parents when they're really kind of, they're not there yet, is helping them understand in, in this tilled soil that we don't find comfort because we don't know what is next. But if you look in the Bible, God brought people through seasons of wilderness. You know, I mean, Moses. I mean, you, you know, it's just sort of like, everything I know, the insulation of what is daily and what is comfortable is gone. The distraction of, of busyness, you know, our role as a parent is gone. Um, without this role in this everydayness that consumed me, I'm so empty. It's wild. It's raw. It's unknown. It's it's foreign territory. And I and I, I guess this was a God moment where I just had to recognize and look around and go, Okay, clearly God must be up to something because I don't know what to do with this mess. I don't know what to do with the mess that's happening in my heart and my mind everything I know as it's been that has actually distracted me from connecting with God because it was all, you know, pretty routine, it was pretty comfortable, is gone.
0: I got I to gotta jump in here and bring back one of Jesus' botanical metaphors because he is dead serious about his metaphors. I always call them perfect metaphors because Jesus chose them. So the more you study his metaphors, the, the deeper you drill, the more truth you get. Mm-hmm. It's up to you you can treat them in a shallow way and not get much, or you can treat them with a great attention to detail and get a load of them. And one of his botanical metaphors that he repeated in different ways throughout—I'll give you one version of it from John 15, 4—remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And so, Cammie, you're, you're using this word connection, and it's familiar to us. We think, oh yeah, we want to be connected to God. When Jesus uses the word connection, this is an extremely intimate word. I mean, think about the most intimate connection your mind can come up with right now. Do you, do you have that? that? That's what Jesus is talking about. Because he's saying that this connection with him, abiding in him, grafted into him, the branch in the vine is the source of our life and strength and if you don't have that connection you have no life and strength in yourself my friend bob krulish used to give me this image all the time that just I, i'll never forget he said it's like going across one of those jungle bridges it's really shaky and it kind of kind of goes down and then back up again and you have to kind of hang on to the rope sides of the bridge going across this big jungle valley and he and he would say you know, an elephant and a mouse were walking across the bridge and the mouse was in front of the elephant and the bridge started to sway up and down and the mouse looked up at the elephant and said, wow, look what I can do. <laughs> Bob was trying to say, that's our life. Mm-hmm. That so much of our life is dependent on what he can do, but we often think we're doing it Yes. and we're not doing it. And these seasons of our lives are when... The truth is, like, right in front of our face. Oh, my gosh, I'm not the one moving the bridge.
2: Well, and in, and in parenting, I'm not the one controlling my kids. My mom used to tell me, because I was a difficult teenager, uh, listen to your guys' stories, I mean, I was all sorts of difficulty and, you know, pain for my, my family. And I asked my mom, when, I, when my kids got to be the teenagers, how did you deal? And she said, oh, I gave you back to God a long time ago. <laughs> I just I just had to say, God, she's your kid. I've done, I, I'm doing what I can, but the rest is up to you. And, you know, I think I think we still have this false sense of control, you know, where now with, with with social media and apps, we're tracking, we're following our kids, we've got portals where we're checking in. Do you know right now, my stepdaughter is 35, she's got a six-year-old and a three-year-old. In her first son's first grade class, they now have webcams, and you can log in and watch your kid <laughs> during the day to make sure everything's going on, and I thought... We
1: are. I have that for doggy daycare too. I know,
2: but we're getting, we're getting, so we're getting seduced by the lies of what we know and can see and can control will give us peace. Right. And the thing is, is God's about ready to wreck that world. And the more we get seduced into that and lulled into that, which the social media, the the it's false connectedness, you guys. I mean, yeah. it's just we, you know, again, knowledge is a is a big big thing in the Bible, and it's like that's fake knowledge. That's not.
0: And you know, G- Jesus. I'm just thinking about his interaction with the woman at the well. And the woman at the well says, Oh, I don't have a bucket. And neither do you. Uh, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get me any water? Because he, she thinks he's going to draw water from this well to give her, to satiate her thirst. And he basically says, I have water you don't know about. Mm-hmm. The water that you draw from this well, you'll still be thirsty after you drink. The water you drink from me, you'll never be thirsty again. Right. This is what you're describing right now. Yep. Are we going to drink from wells? That will always leave us thirsty again, which is the well of control, the well of power, the well of money, the well of success. These things will always leave us thirsty again. His living water, he's trying to tell us, won't, as long as you drink from him.
2: And the other well, that's a fake well, is the well of smooth sailing. You know, it's going to be comfortable. I've got (laughs) it planned out. There will not be any. We think if we do a good enough job, you know what? That's success. It's smooth. Everything worked out how it should. And until everything really falls apart, and you guys, I mean, if you're sending your kids to college or if you're a parent of a young adult, you know, oh, oh, this is just the beginning. Not that terrible, terrible things are going to happen, but that you're being well-conditioned right now in this season yeah. of releasing your grip. And in the book, you know, I say, I, I'm not releasing my kid and just sending them off into the world. I mean, heck, we know, again, they don't fly well. What I'm doing is I'm surrendering them back to God under his wings. Because I'm, I, too, am a child of God. We all are. And that's the truth of our, all of our identity. You know, and that's the interesting thing in this shedding season. You know, Rick, I think back to your book, Sifted, which is one of my favorite books on the planet that changed and shaped me when I went through the loss of a job where I lost a title and a role. And without it, I was just so empty. Like, who am I? Mm-hmm. And there was so much truth. In, you know, just this outer you know, chaff or whatever they call it of the, of the wheat falling off and the, the vulnerability of that tender kernel. This is very similar in the season of letting go for parents because this outer shell of my business, my parent role, I've always identified myself you know, in the last 18 years of whose mom I am. We falsely do this. My worth and value is based on how my kids are turning out. That is another lie. It's not whose mom I am, it's whose I am. Mm -hmm. I am a child of God. My child is a child of God. He's Papa. And until we're reduced, I think, into a childlike state, where we're scared in that wilderness season and we're just going god i don't i don't even know what's next and i'm scared when you recognize that you run to him because you have nothing and you crawl into his lap and you say hold me because i'm scared and hold my kid hold us both <laughs> and that's ultimate surrender
0: and the and the reason that he doesn't treat this situation with his words instead we are actually living a botanical life mm-hmm. meaning he's he, when he says when he tells us a metaphor he's not telling a story he's revealing the reality of how he's working in our life so he's actually a gardener in your life he is actually pruning in your life mm-hmm. he is actually inviting us to abide and graft into him these are actual truths and so these things are lived out and not solved by us hearing oh i i need to give up my control and i need to give my uh, trust and my heart more to him. He actually does this experientially in our life. He's not trying to teach us a lesson. He's actually moving in our life to change us from the inside out in these situations. And maybe we should give one of the last words to Cammie's mom here. Becky, would you read the note that Cammie's mom Wrote to her, which I just think it was is a text. So, and let me, it, for
2: context, she's seventy-five years old, and her texts are like a novel. This was yeah, truly this, so. This is an verbatim. Excerpt. This reads, is an
0: excerpt from the novel. It
2: reads more like like a letter.
0: Was, <laughs> yes, because but, all
2: seventy-five-year-olds start with dear so and so on. It. But I, I
0: think I think Cammy's mom kind of sums up a little bit of what we're talking about here.
2: Well, let me put this in context. I was too busy last fall, <laughs> second child. Well, actually, my fourth. I mean, but second blood child to go off to college, and I could not arrange the time to get to visit him. And he seemed to be uninterested in me visiting him. So I was hurt and I was like, fine, I'm not going to come. Well, my parents were like, well, we'll go. So this is the text. And, and during the entire time my parents were there, I was constantly texting my mom. How is you were it? Feeling How is guilty. It? I was feeling guilty and I needed my mom to be my eyes and ears. Yeah. And I don't text my mom hardly ever.
1: We just don't communicate. But suddenly I was connected mm-hmm. and she was now my portal. So
2: hmm.
1: this is both funny and also going to maybe like make you tear up a little bit. Uh, dear Cammy, I have some good news and bad news. The good news is that Nate is adjusting to college and seems to be doing very well. He is studying hard, making friends, exercising, and is involved in extracurricular activities, including spiritual ones. You have done a good job of raising him. He is a responsible, fine young man. Here's the bad news. The bad news is that because of his solid background and good fit at his wonderful school, he's not constantly thinking of you and home. He doesn't have the need to talk to his mom all the time or get her constant hugs and love. He is not longing to hear your voice. (laughs) He probably won't call you often, but that isn't because he doesn't care or love you, but because he has a solid foundation to take off from knowing you and god are there for him allows him to move into adulthood as a strong godly young man if you ever get lonely please call your mommy don't forget that she still misses you too love mom
2: yeah it <laughs> <that> makes me <sense. laughs> oh my gosh that
0: that it's really powerful what she's trying to say
2: well cuz my mom raised us pretty hardcore as i said she sort of surrendered me back to god when i was like 13 i mean she sort of did it prematurely but <laughs> i was raised as a pretty independent kid and we have not created this relationship that's so dependent. I mean, I don't call my mom at night. I talk to my mom every 3 months and we're good. I I'm so grateful and proud and so respectful and just I mean, I know my life has been shaped by them and I'm so independent and I'm I'm thrilled about that. I don't rely on them, but I'd forgotten because of the strength that she raised me with. I didn't really realize that she still longed for me. And mm. so this what I mean, we're never going to not long for our kids that's not something god's going to heal out of us he heals through it in us recognizing that the bigger story is that he longs for us too Mm -hmm. just like we'll always long to be connected and to have more of our kids in our life when they're being nice and sweet god just longed for that connection with us every day and so i look at the pain and the the disruption of what we know in this season as new seasons are coming and we 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 don't have the promise of like, I know that fall comes after, you know, summer and then things happen. I think what we just can know is that in these transition times, it is an invitation to grow. It's an invitation to trust. And it's an invitation to be still as things are stripped away and wait and listen on that still small voice that says, I'm here. And look to see what he's doing. And that's why I wrote the book, actually. What helped me stay sane in this I had to write what was in my heart because I was literally I didn't I was very isolated. I didn't have a group of people going through this. So I just wrote and I realized that in the absence of community, what I was doing, they were my lamentations, they were they were my cries to God. And through that they became prayers and they became things. And I realized I would read them back, like, okay, no, what would it what did I cause I think God started speaking to me just in writing, in that it was it was just 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 flowing out of me. Words I couldn't even express were just coming forth. And that's why the book is basically, it's a compilation of my journals, but what's important for people is not just reading stories or not just hearing other people's stories, but God's inviting you into your own story. So at the end of each chapter, there's questions for pondering, there's journaling space, because my story is one, one story. Your story is unique. Yeah. But there is a similarity, just like all seasons still have similarities. We've got freak snowstorms in May. Yep. <laughs> we got 70 degrees—you know, nothing's identical. But, but it's time to look at what is God telling you about your story, your life, and His relationship with you personally.
0: Yeah, that's good. And that book, by the way, again, if you're just wondering, uh, what book is she talking about again? It's called Release My Grip. And just to close off here, I'm, I'm just thinking about as you're, you're talking about this, my wife and I, about a decade ago, created a 10— a 10 experience uh, series for our church because we couldn't find a Sunday school class that we were re- actually hungering for <laughs> so it, we called it in pursuit of Jesus and later when um, Joni Schultz who's uh, uh, kind of the second in command here at group found out what I had done what we had done that summer she said let's publish that so it became this 10 10 week study called in pursuit of Jesus and that that study is exactly a, as its title says it's ten different ways of pursuing the heart of Jesus, but what's lost in this sometimes is what is true about the parable of the prodigal son, and how we are all, in some one way or another, like that prodigal, because that prodigal goes off in control. He's controlling his own destiny. He, he's saying, I'm going to disconnect myself from you, Father, and go find my own way, and I want the resources you have for me to find my own way. And then that doesn't turn out so well for him, and he decides to come back. The missing, the thing that we miss in that story so often is that it's not just the prodigal son coming back to pursue his father. His father's pursuing him already. Mm-hmm. He's waiting for him, watching for him, and when he sees him, he runs. And this is the story also that Jesus is trying to tell in our lives. It's not just our pursuit of him. It's his pursuit of us. And sometimes the way to get caught with him is to simply stop running, mm-hmm. to just stop and let him catch you instead of run away from you. So anyway, again, the, the, the name of the book is Release My Grip. You can find a link to that on the podcast page for paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. And, and other things that we've mentioned here today will be linked there as well. You just go to com and you find our podcast section this this one is Season 2, Episode 36. It's called Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, and it's a podcast from Lifetree. You can subscribe to us on iTunes for all the latest podcasts. And Becky Nader, is there anything that you want to say as an exclamation point at the end of this before we let him go?
1: Make sure you join the pigs. Um, the pigs is our group of people who are all in for Jesus. Call them the pigs because the chicken only gives an egg for the meal, but the pig gives his whole life. Um, And this is a group of people on a private Facebook group and through email who we share funny stories with, including the newest thing that's on Rick's desk, which you'll have to join to find out. Ooh.
0: Ooh. Yeah. What a mystery. Shocking mystery of introverted people. So so thank you, Cammie, for joining us today. We'll see you again next time, gang.
1: Bye.